Welcome to Faith Football Friends Podcast. I'm Chris Elrod here with Cole Parsley. And I'm Forrest Sanamaceras. All right, and today for our faith portion, we are going to begin by talking about what we want to gain spiritually in 2020, kind of a New Year's resolution in spiritual terms or a spiritual New Year's resolution. And I guess I will go ahead and get us started, and I'm, I'm really excited to hear some feedback from Forrest and Cole on kind of how I can pursue this, because uh, this is something that they're both really good at, and so I'm, I'm excited to hear what they have to say and what suggestions they have. So ultimately, what I want to gain in 2020 is I want to become a better student of God's Word. I know in 2019, I focused on on reading God's Word more and spending more time in God's Word, but now I really want to focus on growing and becoming a student. A lot of times whenever I study, it's uh, lesson-focused or it's, um, you know, there's a purpose behind it other than just spiritual growth. And so what I want to do is I want to spend more time actually kind of digging deeper into God's Word and not rush through the study portion of of my reading and of my lesson prep and and everything. That's kind of where I'm headed. And so what suggestions, guys, do you all have off the top of your head for for that goal? Cole, do you, what do you have to suggest? I would say, and I appreciate you calling me a, a, a student, a student of the Bible. I like that. But I would say for me, it's um, every time I, I come to the Bible, I'm always underlining. I always underline and I even write notes in the margins. And for me... It's almost a way of remembering not everything I read, but at least remembering one thing I read each time I come to it. And I'm really in love with the idea of connecting one passage to another passage. It almost feels like like a spider web of Bible verses that are interlinked or, or maybe putting puzzle pieces together at times. But just connecting one verse by writing down another verse that, that talks about the same topic and gives you a fuller understanding for me, that really helps me to remember what I've read. Yeah, that's a really neat idea. I, I like what you said about the spider web. Uh, that's that's a neat uh, concept, and I think it helps us kind of understand that theological map uh, that God's Word kind of uh, kind of shows us. Forrest, what about you? Yeah, I was just gonna say one thing. I do is so you know I have my time where like all of us probably where I read the Bible, and I just any question that pops into my head about what I'm reading, I answer right then and there. And I don't think that that's necessarily something you have to do, but just for me. Uh, so for example, even if it slows down my reading, like if I plan on reading three chapters, but end up reading three verses instead, like that's fine if like I'm getting to some answers of some of my questions, you know? And that's one thing I like to do. And uh, like right now I'm reading through the book of Job because at the church where I'm at, we're doing like a chronological Bible reading plan. And this one was set up where Job is probably, you know, pretty old. So that's why we like stopped reading Genesis, started reading Job. Anyway, um, a lot of questions in Job. You know, I didn't get the privilege of taking that class like you did, Chris. So I've had a class on it before, just not the same one. Uh, but still a lot of questions. So I'll just, I've been answering those by going to commentaries and looking at study Bibles and just whatever like whatever your means are of answering those kinds of questions in your normal study, just do it while you're reading. 
And I just would say that, you know, I feel like that helps me a lot because if I write it down, I'm just one of those people that even if I write it down, I'm never going to get to it. You know what I mean? But if I just do it right then and there, then I know that like I've put some work into that and I have a better understanding of it and stuff like that. Um, another thing that I like is maybe putting some time down just for like, I want to say like exegesis, but just like putting some time for like some inductive study of a book in and of itself, like how things connect to things earlier in the book. Like what's the progression? What is the you know, what is the argument here? What's the conclusion? What's going on? And that way, I think if you've got a good handle on that, anytime you reference like a verse, not anytime, but more often when you reference like a verse in a sermon or something, you don't just know what that verse is saying. You know why it's saying that, like in the big picture. Yeah, what's going on? So that's just two things I would say. And I don't always do the best at uh, doing that, but those are two things that have helped me a little bit. And, um, but yeah, that's all I got really. Yeah, I think that's that's really insightful. I like what you said about answering questions right then and there because it kind of reflects what we talked about last week with uh, the three-minute habit or, or doing things in small sections. It kind of holds you accountable to make sure you're going to do it because you're addressing it right then and there. And then um, I have found that tr- trying to understand the progression of books is definitely beneficial whenever you're teaching a book or whenever you just – want to grow and so i i think that's a that's a good idea uh one correction though i didn't actually take job I, that was a class i never took what i took was um was psalms and wisdom literature so it had psalms instead of job um we studied the collection of psalms rather than studying job with wisdom literature and then there's an independent class for job they talked about how it didn't make sense but it, it was what it was so um Boom, I actually haven't. I actually haven't taken a class in on Job. Chris, that kind of makes sense because that's a lot of text to get through. Like, if you had to teach the Book of Psalms and the Book of Job in addition to whatever else, like, that would be like impossible to do. <laughs> yeah, I I agree that is a lot of text. But one thing that they said that made it kind of weird was that. Um, like Justin Rogers, the professor, he said that he didn't uh, consider Psalms and that most scholars didn't consider Psalms to be wisdom literature. And so it would have made more sense to have a class all about the Psalms and then added Job to the class on wisdom literature. Because that's the class I took was wisdom literature. But yeah, I thought y'all had a lot of great insight though on on what to do um, to to grow. Uh, So I do have one follow-up question though as well. Uh, for us so whenever you have a question where do you go to have that question answered you know what i mean like you're reading job and you're like huh i'm wondering about this so now what's your next step yeah so it kind of just depends the uh you know i've got three or four commentaries that i look at most often that i just have lined up on logos um so I'll go to that or I'll go to, depending on the depth of the question, I might just go look at like a study Bible that I trust, you know, mm-hmm. or even if it's like a, a textual thing, I'll look at like the NET uh, Bible notes, the New English translation. They've got like a bunch of translators notes and stuff. And they'll explain, even if it's a minor textual variant, they'll explain like 
it's like an apparatus, you know, in a Greek New Testament, but like way easier to understand. So it kind of just depends, but that's really the main thing. Like I go to the commentaries I trust the most and I go to uh, the study Bible and that helps me at least get my head around some things, you know, so that I can kind of be able to answer it for myself. Cole, what do you have to add? The, the internet is often trashed a lot these days concerning, uh, oh, what, did you find that off a, an article on the internet? And, and there is some truth to that. You can, you can back up whatever you want to believe from some, some article on the internet, right? We've all seen that. Well, I read this one article that completely refuted your, your position on this biblical stance. Like, I've, I've heard that. But at the same time, the internet is something unknown to the world in the sense that all the information that's basically out there that humankind knows is on the internet somewhere, if you can look for it. So it's, it's a pretty good tool. You should use it if you know how. I am familiar with the internet. I will, I will check into that for sure. Awesome. <laughs> all right. So uh, what are one of you would would one of you like to talk about your goals for for 2020? Yeah. So. One of my main goals in 2020 spiritually is to not only be consistent with my Bible reading, because last year I was going to read through the whole Bible and I got stuck at the end of Jeremiah, which if you ever try to read through the whole Bible, Jeremiah, I have to look at this. I think by word count, it might be the longest book. Like it's up there for the longest book. It's like number one, number two, number three. Not by chapters, obviously, but by like word count. And I don't know why. I just I just got bogged down there and some other things happened. So I definitely don't want to get sidetracked this year. Not that reading the Bible through is virtuous in and of itself, as sometimes it's seen. Like I'm not trying to advocate that. It's just a goal of mine. Happy 2020. Um, and another big one for me is prayer. And it's not that I don't pray... Like, I feel good about how often I pray. I don't feel good about how long my prayers are, if that makes sense. Not that prayers have to be a certain length, but I've found just personally, like, I get more out of my prayers if they're longer. And if I just almost, like, am able to, like, lose myself in the prayer and it's not, like, rehearsed or scripted, like, it's just real, honest, intimate conversation with God. Um, so that's something that I'm trying to work towards and... I'm not, I haven't been consistent with it. Of course, the new year just started, but I did have a couple just good ones where I just walked, like I walked away from prayer, just kind of changed. Like, I don't know, like, I'm sure you guys have experienced that before, you know, and um, just trying to do that more often and having those deeper, meaningful exchanges with God is, is a goal of mine. Um, that's really, I mean, as far as other than, you know, the, the normal stuff, like, don't be angry at my wife, have more self-control, like the standard like thing I'm always trying to do every single day. Like I think those are the two of the main big picture things that that are coming uh, for me in 2020 that I'm trying to seek. I think that sounds sounds really good and I think we can all agree that we're uh, that we're all, you know, uh, seeking to to grow in those in those more general ways that you mentioned, but um, yeah, reading through the Bible in a year is something I've never done. I think it's, uh, I understand what you're saying though. It's not virtuous in and of itself, but it is a good thing. I think it's a good goal for 2020 and I, and I hope you can, uh, be consistent with it. And then, uh, I think 
I think I know what you mean with the longer prayers. Like it is, it it does something whenever you're not just praying when it's convenient, you know. And I think that's kind of a habit that we can all fall in. We can just kind of start uh, talking to God um, on our own timetable rather than making time for God. You know, whenever you think about Daniel, um, Daniel was in the habit of going to his room every every day, three times a day, just to talk to God. You know, he he put God down on his schedule. He didn't let God just fall where he happened to fall within his schedule. And I think that's something we could all uh, improve upon for sure. So I think that's a good, insightful goal. Cole, what are your hopes, dreams, and uh, spiritual pursuits for 2020, brother? Uh, I actually have two of them. I'll start with the first one because it's much like Forrest, actually a lot like Forrest. And the first one is developing a, a better prayer life and not just a prayer that's, oh, I'm about to eat something. Let me give thanks to God or it's bedtime. So I'm going to say my bedtime prayer, but actually setting a date with God to talk to God, to build my relationship with God um, and to, just to be in his presence. As Forrest said, I can remember the times when I felt closest to God was um, whenever I, I would go outside every night and, and this is just my thing. This is my quote unquote prayer closet, if you will. But being outside, looking at the stars at night, that that's my spot, man. Like that's when I'm just like, wow, I know you, you're real, God. Uh, look at this. This is amazing. And so that's my spot for prayer. And just like Forrest said, not necessarily spending 30 minutes a night, but but you'd be amazed at how long five minutes is. Um, in prayer or 10 minutes is in prayer and just spending that time with God um, every night, as I said, and making it a point because it really, it makes such a huge difference to every aspect of our lives. No, you're, you're exactly right. And I'm, I'm similarly, I like to go outside and and pray as well. Uh, We have a pond at my house and uh, with like a little uh, kind of like a docker yeah, it's a dock. I was going to describe it as a bridge, but it only goes halfway. So definitely not a bridge, not a good bridge at least. But we have a little dock, and I like to just go out and uh, stand on that dock or, or maybe sit down and, and just look at the water, look at the moon and the stars, and just uh, reflect on how good God is and, and talk to God out there. Um, it's it's definitely my, my favorite place place to pray. and So I know what you mean there exactly. And and again, I think that's a, is a great uh, great goal, and um, I'm gonna add prayer to my 2020 New Year's resolution. Maybe this is something we can come back to on the on the podcast and talk more about, because I know, um, and prayer is is an unusual thing for some people, and it's it's uh, a hard habit to to get in to get into, and so um, for some, so uh, I think it can definitely be good for for us all to talk about this more. Yeah, I was just gonna say I kind of struggled with prayer for a while and not that I got it all figured out. Like, I think it's still something I, I need to put a lot of attention to, but I feel like at least for me, part of that was never praying. Well, okay. I'll say rarely praying as a child, you know, and just not growing up with that belief sort of instilled with me that God is there and present and he knows what you're going through and he knows like the details of your life and he sees what you're doing and, if you reach out to him, he can hear you. Like all that stuff was just, you know, a foreign idea to me for a lot of my life. And that's made it harder to 
like I still sometimes don't feel comfortable praying. I just, you know, it's just a weird thing, I guess. Something I still wrestle with. Um, but yeah, and that was one of the biggest things, like practically this idea that like God knows what you're doing right now and like can see you and you know what I mean? Just all that stuff involved with some of the presuppositions we take for granted sometimes when we enter prayer. Like obviously we're not going to pray if we don't think God knows what we're saying or that God can hear us, or that God can act in the universe, you know, it would just be a waste of time. And we might not verbalize those presuppositions, but we go into prayer believing those things. Um, but some of those just kind of, uh, you know, have been hard for me. But another thing that helps me, since we're talking about Bible reading and prayer, you know, when you combine the two, especially in the Psalms, and I know both of you guys have done this, but if you're able to pray the Psalms or even like if you're reading Job or something or whatever and something pops into your mind about your own life, just taking that to God right there, you know, and not having to kind of like with answering the question, not having to wait until your prayer time or whatever, just being able to uh, thank him for what he's done or whatever it may be. And I think prayer and Bible reading, when they go hand in hand, can really be powerful for our spiritual development. Yeah, I remember Stan Mitchell really being an advocate of praying the Bible, and he would talk about how, um, you know, basically any passage of the Bible, you know, we can just take take to God and, and apply it to our life as we as we talk to God about it. And if you think about um, the Bible being God's word and God giving us um, his word and communicating to us through his word and us communicating to God, through prayer, then it makes sense that the two would go hand in hand. You know, um, that's how we communicate with everyone else. There's, we receive a message and then we give a message, and um, it just makes sense that that would continue and and be the pattern for for communicating with God as well. Uh, Cole, I think you had something. Yeah, so I was going to say, like, when it comes to prayer, do you believe? Let me just say this: Do you believe? that God exists and do you believe that he hears you when you pray to him and I believe all of us here would say yes and most of our listeners would say yes and so it thus follows why aren't we praying like we should be right if you believe that I mean if you really believe that and you have an avenue to enter God's presence to stand before his throne then it's like what are you doing and so that's a message to me plain and clear because that's my resolution is it's time to get back in prayer. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. No, but seriously, I think you're exactly right. You know, I mean, if we can go before the Creator in prayer, then we certainly should. Uh, so let's all strive to to do that more uh, faithfully. Cole, did you have another New Year's resolution? So my next New Year's resolution is one in which I want to give Forrest a shout out. Forrest is the best person I know who can straight up rebuke someone to their face and and just leave it at that. No hard feelings. Um, maybe your feelings are a little hurt, you know, because nobody wants their, their toes stepped on. But Forrest can do it, man. If you're gossiping around Forrest, he's going to let you know that you are a sinner and you need to stop. And then he's going to continue talking about football to you. <laughs> um and this is biblical, and this is something that I want to do better with. I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, 21, where Paul says, What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? 
So shall I come to you with a rod, meaning severe discipline, maybe a severe tone or a spirit of gentleness in how we um, correct one another in Christian love? And both are useful. Both have their place. Paul would then go on to talk about how one man is sleeping with his father's wife and the church was allowing that. So obviously that would be at the time for a rod. And then there's time for uh, a spirit of gentleness. And so for me, my New Year's resolution, my spiritual New Year's resolution, one of them is to hold the people around me accountable. I am, it's like I'm so scared to do that. I'm so scared to do what God wants me to do, which is correct people. And, and, and there's, two, there's two extremes of this. There's the side that says, no, all grace, um, don't offend anybody, and we know that's not right. And then there's the side which is like the gospel police, you could say, where it's like, <laughs> every time I talk to you, you're rebuking me. <laughs> Stop. You know what I mean? So to find that balance. And to be able to correct my, my brethren so that they can live a, a better godly life. I think that's a great resolution as well. Uh, I've been teaching about accountability in, uh, in our middle school class on Sunday mornings here at Walter Hill. And uh, I, I definitely think that's something that uh, the church has kind of gotten away from a little bit. I, I think it's definitely something we all as, as individual Christians need to do a better job of. Uh, for sure. I think, Forrest, you had something you'd like to add? Yeah, I'm really surprised that you think that about me, Cole. I just feel like I don't know when I've ever done that. I don't know. I just don't feel like that. But I also, you know, I'm definitely far from perfect. I've rebuked people sometimes in ways I probably shouldn't have or have said things I shouldn't have. So it's definitely, you know, you just got to be careful and ask for wisdom and stuff. But part of that is, like, I want... I really want you guys to rebuke me when I need it. You know what I mean? And that's just kind of the way I, uh, I don't know. That's just a mindset I've always kind of had. And because have you ever done something wrong for so long and nobody ever called you out on it? And then finally, when you became aware of the fact that you were doing this thing wrongly, you were just so utterly embarrassed that like you never wanted to do it again. That's happened to me several times, and that is that feeling is way worse than like being called out the first time you do something wrong. That way you can know, oh, okay, this is how I'm gonna do it. You know what I mean? Um, and I think like everybody, like I have been rebuked for things I shouldn't have been rebuked for, you know, just like kind of silly stuff. Um, and I feel like a lot of that too is our culture. Like our culture is kind of getting away from that idea of. Like, it's simultaneously. At one time, our culture, like, cancels people and, like, silences people for stuff that's really not even that serious, while at the same time saying, hey, don't actually give me any kind of moral instruction about how I should live my life. You know what I mean? But I'm definitely not the master or the expert at all. But uh, that's something that's not even to, – to have that be a, a resolution is pretty interesting. It's just and, – and rebuke has a, I guess, a bad connotation to it. Um, but when I say Forrest is so good at rebuking, it's, I'm not saying he's so good at being rude to people. I feel like that's what, that's the conclusion we come to. No, it's not that at all. It's just Forrest, at least I feel like knows that he has a responsibility to hold other people accountable. It's an act of love. It's absolutely an act of love. And like he just said, he wants other people to do that to him so that he doesn't live in error. So he also, even though it's hard, 
is willing to correct others who may be um, doing something inaccurately. And just as Forrest said, when I was talking about the gospel police and and people taking it too far, when when people are always coming at you and telling you what you're doing wrong, and it's the most petty thing, like um, silly things, like maybe it's you say um too much in your sermons. That's when it's like, really, man, really. <laughs> Yeah, I would. I am also good at being rude to people, so it's kind of uh, a double-edged sword, I would say. Uh, and Chris knows what I'm talking about. There's one famous example that I'm not gonna say, but where I like low-key rebuked somebody and it totally backfired, and I shouldn't have said what I said. Um, and if he doesn't remember, we can talk about it later. But uh, yeah, try not to be rude. That's I think that's one of my New Year's resolutions too, more uh, practical than spiritual, but. I think that that's great, though, um, on both accounts. Uh, I think I might know the story you're talking about, but I'm not 100% sure, but I think I do. Um, but, yeah, no, I think, I think too, like, it's, it's important how we respond to being rebuked, you know? Because, uh, like, I agree with Forrest, like, I want to be rebuked when I need to be rebuked. But yet I also know that that's really easy for me to say right here and now than it is for when like I'm actually rebuked, you know? So uh, I think that's something we all need to strive for as well is just to be like accepting and ready to accept rebuke when necessary. I would say real quick that there is a difference between criticism and rebuke. You know what I mean? Like sometimes people are overly critical and they feel like they're doing you a favor, but they're really not. They're just trying to, and sometimes that has to do with taste or opinion. Like it's my opinion that a preacher should do X, Y, and Z. And then they'll bring that to your attention. And then you're like, okay, fantastic. I think that cream cheese is delicious since we're sharing opinions. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of just irrelevant and they're almost just trying to force how they think you should be onto you. And that's different than like, wait a second, this guy, you know, this person that I love may be doing something that is endangering himself or other people or whatever it may be. But I would say that like, and, but learning to take criticism is important too, you know, um, just because there's no way to escape it. No matter where you are, no matter what your profession is, no matter what, you're going to be criticized. Um, so something to keep in mind. I don't remember if I mentioned this in the last episode, um, but 2019 was a time in which I had to learn to take criticism. And the first thing to taking criticism is admitting that you are not perfect. So anybody listening out there, I feel like our culture especially needs to hear this because it, I feel like nobody can take criticism. And anytime you you criticize somebody else in, in hopes of benefiting them, I feel that it's nine times out of ten not going to go well. Like, at first. Obviously, there's going to be conflict. And then once the conflict settles, then, then you did, you know, it came to fruit. But realizing you're not perfect and just leave it at that realizing you're not perfect but then also realizing that it's not the end of the world that whatever they said about you you know what i mean like like understanding like yeah okay i'm not perfect and i need to grow 
and that's okay. You know, it's okay that I'm not perfect. It's okay that I need to grow. I think that's something I, I have to remind myself of sometimes is, is that growth is okay and that it's needed. And just because someone identifies an area that where I need to grow in does not mean it's the end of the world. So, um, and I think sometimes too, we can be like afraid that people are trying to criticize, criticize us when, when they're not actually trying to criticize us sometimes, you know, like, I think sometimes we can, we can, uh, get too caught up in, in what people say and, and, um, begin to think that we're being criticized when in reality, like they're just talking or they're just, uh, you know, hanging out with us, you know, like it's not actually a big deal, but, uh, I thought it was interesting a minute ago whenever Forrest said he uh, enjoyed or that he wanted us to rebuke him because it was just a few hours ago that we did rebuke this boy because he said that he would move to New Zealand if the Titans beat the Ravens after the Titans smacked down on Tom Brady and the Patriots. Bold words, bold words. So we had to rebuke him and, and let him know that, hey, it's possible. The Titans are coming for the Ravens. Yeah, I made a rash foul there, guys. And I was like Jephthah back in uh, the Old Testament, you know, who said, the first thing that walks out of my house, I'll sacrifice to the Lord. I've done that before uh, and got in trouble for that. So thanks for calling me out on that. I think I owe somebody $10,000, but hopefully they forgot about it. But it's totally possible that the Titans will beat the Ravens, I guess. But them smacking down the Patriots doesn't give me any more confidence in them because the Ravens destroyed the Patriots way more than the Titans could ever desire to. So it's kind of apples and oranges, you know. Well, we uh, we did that last year to the Patriots as well. That was before they went on to win the Super Bowl, right? Just double yes. checking. Oh, okay, okay. They still lost to us the regular season, to, to Cole's point. Like, the fact that they went on to win the Super Bowl is totally irrelevant, but we'll leave that at that. The Titans game was intense. Derrick Henry, man, what a guy. He just took on all 11 defensive players by himself, practically. I mean, obviously, he had a great offensive line uh, who played really, really well on Saturday night. But, man, Derrick Henry just went insane. And I think, I mean, totally I credit him with with the win. I mean, he carried our offense. Uh, Ryan Tannehill only had uh, 15 pass attempts, which is unreal. I mean, that's just such a low number. Uh, I think he only completed like seven of those, had like 81 yards. Like, ridiculous how little uh, Ryan Tannehill performed. But he didn't need to because Derrick Henry just destroyed the Patriots. It didn't matter how many people they put on the defensive line. He was going to run the ball. He was going to get yards. It was so, so crazy. And uh, to uh, Cole's, Cole's point a few episodes ago, man, Mike Rabel, what a genius for, for letting Derrick Henry sit out that game against the Saints. Uh, you know, and and that game is, is still encouraging because while we lost to the Saints, the Saints was a, were a good team, and it was a close game. And so it, it showed that Ryan Tannehill can get things done when he's needed and when he gets the opportunity and when Derrick Henry isn't just destroying them by himself. Yeah, it's easy to look at Ryan Tannehill this game and say, oh, there's the real Ryan Tannehill. But you got to keep in mind, and I believe Tony Romo was talking about this, the Patriots wanted us to throw at them for some reason. 
I don't know what they're get, I don't know if they were more scared of that than the run or what, but they were keeping two safeties deep most of the game. And so it's like, okay, we're just going to keep running it. And you saw where where we uh, I think it was two series in a row where we had two three and outs because we started throwing the ball. But no, keep keep running it, keep running it. And it makes me it makes me wonder if Belichick saw something on tape of our tendency to run, run, then throw a, a play action in there for a deep gain. And he said, you know what? They're going to they're gonna throw it eventually. We'll, we'll stay in this package, and then we'll get an interception. And they did get one interception, granted. And so Tannehill only had like 50 or 80 yards passing this game, but he didn't have to throw the ball. And if Bill Belichick isn't going to stop the run, and if Derrick Henry's doing what Derrick Henry was doing, that's going to be the outcome. And that yeah, that's actually one of my favorite styles of football. You guys will remember back in ah man, 2017 or 2018, there was a Madden where I always played as the Jacksonville Jaguars because Blake Bortles was mediocre enough to get enough completion yards, and Leonard Fournette Fournette was good enough to just depend on to win the game, and the defense was stout enough not to let the other team score. And if you have a mediocre quarterback. Uh, better than mediocre O-line, a great running back, and a fantastic defense, you can win, dude. You really can. Oh, go ahead. Well, no, you're fine. I was just going to add that was Madden 18, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and you would do exactly as you described. But, yeah, uh, the crazy thing, though, to me about uh, Ryan Tannehill's performance is that it was it was almost concerning. Like he he dropped a snap, he uh, threw an interception, and then that pass, in my opinion, he had no business throwing. Like he should have thrown it away. He was outside of the pocket. Like there was no reason for him to throw it where he threw it. But um, then he also he dropped the snap, threw the interception, and then he uh, fumbled in in the pocket. Uh, and those three things are pretty pretty uh, costly. Uh, we, we just, I mean, our defense was strong enough and Brett Kern's an amazing punter. And so we were able to stay strong, but, um, those things were, were definitely concerning. I didn't mean to interrupt you there for us, but I'm sure you have something to add. Yeah. And kind of just piggybacking off of what you said, um, you guys really won all three phases. I know that's like a cliche thing. The all special teams just knocked it out of the park, right? Like with the punting and everything, it was perfect. But also... Tannehill's performance, obviously I'm not a Titans fan, so it's not as personal to me, but it's not a concern to me because that's the best defense he'll play for the rest of the playoffs, depending on how long you guys make it. I mean, they are statistically, and I know Cole doesn't believe in statistics, but they are statistically the best defense, particularly against the pass. So for him to struggle against them is kind of like, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? It's like, taking the hardest test you've ever taken and getting a lower grade than you've ever gotten. Like it's kind of expected as long as you do good enough to pass, which Tannehill did because the rest of the team was so great. Speaking about stats, Titans are going to face the Ravens who average uh, first in the league with 30 points per game. They are first in the league in rushing yards per game. And then they're 27th in passing yards per game. And this is where stats and and me and Forrest are gonna have our debate. Uh, you just get ready. I'm gonna I'm gonna take Forrest to town about these stats. All right. But here's an example, Forrest. Here's a little example. Can Lam- can Lamar Jackson pass the ball? Yes, he can. 
But if you're just looking at the stats, oh, he's 27th in the league. But his run game is so good, he doesn't have to pass the ball. And that was the story in New England. Our running game was so good. They weren't stopping it. They weren't bringing a safety down. Ryan Tannehill did not need or have to pass the ball. Here's the difference, Cole. Here's the difference. The offense of the Baltimore Ravens is completely designed around the option and running the option through Mark Ingram, who's a Heisman Trophy winner, and Lamar Jackson, who's a Heisman Trophy winner. That being said, I'm not saying we just look at one stat. You got to look at stats, plural, right? So while Lamar Jackson's team might be 27th in, in yards, Lamar Jackson's top five in stuff like passer efficiency, like touchdown to interception ratio, stuff like that. And that's where there's a difference. When he is throwing it, he's throwing it less than everybody else because of his offense. But when he is throwing it, it's accurate. It's a completion. It's a touchdown more than it's an interception. And that's really where I think the key difference is. To that I point, I agree with that. You said you could agree with that? Yes. yes. Gotcha. Okay. To that point, though, like I remember one game. I don't remember who it was against. Maybe it was the Texans. I don't I don't remember for sure, but and I'm going to exaggerate these, these stats a little, but like Lamar Jackson had five pass attempts. He was four for five with four touchdowns <laughs> like it was ridiculous like the number of of passes that he had thrown like how low that number was but yet how many of them he had completed and most of them were for touchdowns go ahead for it cole let's say lamar jackson keeps this up he wins the super bowl this year he wins the next super bowl he wins the next super bowl all of a sudden he has three super bowl rings people are saying this is the goat but then there's always that one guy. There's always that one guy who says, oh, oh, hold up. How many 5,000 passing yard seasons did Lamar Jackson have? Dude, dude, he got the rings. What do you mean? It's not, it, okay. First off, What? Secondly, it's not about like it can't be about rings because there's guys who both of us would call trash who have rings. Like that's a settled thing. Also, nobody's gonna declare anybody the goat after only three seasons. Give me a break. Like you can't call somebody the greatest of all time when they've only played like 48 games. That's insane. Um, but I would. I mean, I guess you make a good point. But people like that are almost in a category of their own. Like how do you compare Lamar Jackson with Tom Brady? When their games are so different, you know, like that's a hard thing to do. But I will say this at the risk of nobody ever listening to our podcast ever again for ethical reasons, my favorite quarterback of all time is Michael Vick. I love him, I love everything about him. If I had a football team, I'd, I'd bring him back out of retirement to be my starting quarterback. And it's not because he's got the stats, it's not because he wins games. It's because of his style. I like his style. I like how people, how he can just take off down the field and nobody can catch him. I like, like that whole Lamar Jackson thing. I love that as like a fan of football, but that doesn't make somebody the greatest of all time. To all our hearers, before we started the podcast today, Forrest said he had to, he had to go get his headphones and me and Chris were horrified as he was talking to somebody 
in a manner at which I can't even comprehend. Luckily, I guess to Forrest, it was just a dog. Huh. I'll leave it at that. See, now people are going to think I hate dogs. Thanks, man. But it was actually his cat that he said he was going to find a new home for. So so it's actually the cats that he hates. The dogs he just dislikes. No, I, I've seen Forrest interact with his dog. He doesn't hate his dog. He's not an animal abuser. We would not let him be on the podcast if he was. Please do not stop listening to our podcast. But my wife wouldn't let me live if I was an animal abuser. So you have no worries. That is absolutely truth. I mean, that is absolutely true. Uh, so no worries whatsoever. One of our uh, old college roommates would not be friends with him if he was an animal abuser. Like, definitely has has way too many animal lovers in his life to be an animal abuser. So no fears there. But did just get a little bit of a tone with his dog earlier. But all's forgiven. So uh, what do you think, guys, about this weekend's matchups? I know we've talked a little bit about the Titans and Ravens, but what about the other games in the league? What about the Texans and Chiefs? Do the Texans stand a chance against Patrick Mahomes, the future greatest of all time NFL quarterback? Or uh, are the the Chiefs just going to spank them? You know, those are the questions. What about the NFC games, Um, the Seahawks and Green Bay, I believe it is, and the Vikings and the, uh, oh man, it left me. Whoever it is, the Vikings are playing. 49ers. 49ers, that's right. Of of course, the 49ers. So so what are your thoughts there, guys? Who, Who do you think, how are your brackets? Are your brackets okay at all or are they trash three and one i'm o and no no no. i'm one and three so i'm the opposite of you guys um did not see the titans doing that did not see the texans being as good as they were like you guys you guys had the saints all going all the way to the super bowl did not see the saints losing to the vikings at home which like my body shudders even saying that out loud. That's insane to me. Um, so I'm suffering definitely right now compared to you guys. But I'm just glad both of my Super Bowl contenders are still in it. And that could be the difference maker. <laughs> that most likely will be the difference maker right there. But we'll uh, we'll see. I mean, we've still got a lot of hope on the AFC side of things. Um, I'm I'm sitting at three and one. Um, I predicted the Texans and the Titans to win, so I'm doing doing well there. I, I also predicted the Titans to beat the Ravens, though, and that's going to be a lot harder. If you remember, I think it was two podcasts ago, I said that the Ravens were going to be the team to beat uh, in, the, in the playoffs, and I still I still stand by that 110%. I mean, the Ravens are, are good. They have a unique style of football. They're going to be tough to beat. Uh, Lamar Jackson, with his efficiency, I mean, he's going to be really hard hard to beat. I'm really hoping to see the Texans beat the Chiefs as well, uh, and that's all. That's based upon the fact that I want uh, the Titans and the and the Texans a little AFC South action in the AFC uh, playoff game, uh, or the AFC title playoff game, I guess it is. But uh, the Chiefs are going to be tough to beat too. Patrick Mahomes is is good, and so that's going to be a that's going to be a tough tough game, um, even though Forrest hates to admit it. Patrick Mahomes is a legit, so uh, that's going to be a, a tough, tough game. So 
it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Cole, what do you got? So, do you think the Ravens can shut down this Titans offense? And and I want to go ahead and, and be on record as saying that Tannehill will have a much better game. I, I almost feel like it will be the flip side. Like, I just got this feeling, like, you're never going to stop Derrick Henry, but I feel like the Ravens will sell out to stop him. And then Tannehill and A.J. Brown and Johnny Smith are going to have a great game. But what do y'all think? Can the Ravens shut down Derrick Henry? Definitely not. But here's my thing. If I'm your guy, if I'm you guys, I'm not worried about whether or not they can stop us. I don't think they can stop Derrick Henry. I'm worried about can the Titans stop the Ravens. Like the Ravens offense is the most explosive thing we've seen in the NFL for years. That's really, I think, where the question lies. Now, is your defense solid? Yeah, of course. But this is a whole nother animal and a whole nother style. Nobody else in the NFL runs the plays these guys are running. So it'll be it'll be a good challenge. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, the the Ravens offense is so unique and that makes it very very interesting to see what's how this is going to play out uh, we have the the best linebackers f- to play the Ravens that we have had in years if that makes sense like like last year's team the year before that's team definitely would have struggled more against the Ravens than this year's team I think we're in a much better uh, situation to uh, to to play them in years past we've definitely struggled against tight ends uh, that hasn't seemed to be as big of a factor this year but the tight ends of the ravens man like they're they're good like they're the ones that catch a majority of their passes so i definitely agree with forrest i think i think we can keep up with the ravens scoring the question is can we get another goal line stop at the end of the game like we did against the Chargers at like we did at the end of the half against the Patriots you know that's the question can we get uh, those big stops that are going to be enough to give us the lead Cole I still have nightmares about Andrew Luck and how we would have like three guys tackling this man and he would throw a pass 20 yards down the field or Deshaun Watson, we'd get hands on him and he would still manage to scramble out. Like the Titans, I don't know about this year necessarily, but in years past, I know have had issues with stopping running quarterbacks. And so I'm a little bit terrified coming into this game. As for said, are we going to be able to stop them? I'm, I'm not sure this Titans team is geared to be able to say, oh, all right, if you don't score every possession, you're not going to win. Like we have a good offense, but do we have that good of an offense? I'm not sure. I'll tell you Sunday morning, rather Saturday night after the game, because uh, it's gonna. I think it'll be close. Like I think we'll play with well with them, you know. Like I don't think this is gonna be like two years ago when we played the Patriots in the division round and we just got smoked. Uh, I think we'll. I think we'll be able to play with them, like because we do have the most of offense that we've had since '03. I believe that was the year like Chris Johnson went insane, and I think Kerry Collins was our quarterback. If that tells you anything. So uh, just crazy how far we've come. Uh, and I think I think A.J. Brown's going to have a big game. I think Corey Davis could have a big game. And I, I think I think we can hang with them. Um, I, th- I really do think it's going to come down to uh, the wire and whether or not our defense can make that big stop. And I think something that may be on our advantage, they were talking about this on the radio, is um, Lamar Jackson has had a two-week break now. Like he he might have gotten almost like lazy or, or rusty and, and just having that long break you know he's kind of out of the grind of things and um you know, it'll be interesting to see how 
how well he uh, stayed fresh and stayed focused or if he got got distracted on the, that that two week break. Yeah, I'm not a believer in you need you need a week of rest. Like maybe the first round by is good, but two weeks of rest for sure. That's that's got to be a negative to me unless there's like a nagging injury. He doesn't have a nagging injury, but I will say this. He is hit more than any other quarterback. Like, I doubt he's like, oh, man, I got to take two weeks off. Like, he, I, I would be willing to bet he comes into this game feeling the best he's felt all year. With how many times he carries the ball, he gets as beat up as a running back. I mean, he gets 20-plus carries a game. And to have two weeks off might actually do him some good. No, that, that is an extremely valid point as well. Um, that's definitely something to, to consider. But you got to think timing might be off, you know, and, and things like that with his receivers. And and I'm being optimistic here also, you know. I mean, I'm hoping Lamar Jackson has a bad day because it makes it a little easier for us. Dude's a beast, you know. I mean, he'll be the MVP of the league. Like, he he is, is good, um, you know. Now, granted, I think I think we can play with them. You know, I'm not I'm not selling out on the Titans. Like I don't think they're gonna get destroyed. Like I think we can score as many points as needed to win, and I think we'll be able to stop them. Um, but the question is, will we be able to stop them enough? But I but again, I think we can. I'm optimistic. Yeah, and your your guys' offense. I say your guys is like you guys are on the team, but the Titans offense is going to be able to be less conservative versus the Ravens. Like you there was this whole like energy and just vibe of we're just trying to squeeze past New England right now. You know what I mean? And we're just gonna keep I mean Derrick Henry had like 34 rushes. We're just gonna keep giving it to him and as long as that works, that's what we're gonna do. But versus the Ravens defense, and their defense isn't horrible, but they're not, you know, they're not New England. You're gonna have more freedom. You're gonna be able to do some stuff to pull out some stops that you otherwise wouldn't do. And some of that pressure of getting past the beast in Foxborough, I think, frees you up to do some stuff that that might work out. Just building off what you said, I agree completely. Like the Titans faced the boogeyman last week. That's what they faced. Ryan Tannehill had never beaten the Patriots at their at home or maybe even ever. I'm not sure. So that could explain for why he looks I don't want to say so bad, but he didn't look like the Tannehill we've seen all season. He was against the boogeyman. He had beaten the Patriots, but he had never beaten the Patriots in Foxborough. Uh, but you're right. He he definitely uh, definitely had never won a game there, and had and he's always thrown at least one interception there, and he kept that record alive last week, unfortunately. But uh, that it's a difficult place to play. It's a place that where. Uh, the Titans and uh, Ryan Tannehill had not had much success. And what I loved about that game, but what killed me as a fan, we were trying to win by one point. Like <laughs> it's like it's like we couldn't punch it in. And I know like we weren't actually trying to win by one point. Like that wasn't our goal. But like we were okay with having just a one point lead against Tom Brady, who came back after being like 26 points down in the Super Bowl just a few years ago. That was killing me, making me a nervous wreck. But Mike Rabel killing the clock the way he did, uh, Belichicking, Belichick, as I've, I think I've heard it referred to. I mean, that was just great, you know. Uh, we we really did, a, our coaching staff really did a great job. I feel better about the Titans' chances to beat the Ravens than the Chiefs' chances to beat 
I mean, sorry, than the Texans' chances to beat the Chiefs. Like, I, in my head, I feel better about the Titans beating the Ravens than the Texans beating the Chiefs. Um, and maybe I shouldn't feel that way, but we just, last episode, were talking about how trash the Bills are. And I think you guys were a little unfair to them, but the Texans barely beat them. Josh Allen was literally trying to give the ball to the other team, and they barely got the victory. And that's with J.J. Watt putting his life on the line to come back when he's not even healed from an injury. Like, that's crazy to me. But I will say this. They're a different team with J.J. Watt. Like, from when they played the Broncos and Watt was out to now, totally different. Also, in week four, the Ravens lost to the Browns 40-25. to The Browns put up 40 points on the Ravens' defense. And the Browns weren't as bad this year as they've been in the last couple of years, but they're not anywhere close to the Titans' offense. You know what I mean? So if the Browns can put up 40 points, could the Titans do that? I think so. But also, the Ravens peaked at the right time and have been getting better toward the end of the season. So we'll see what happens. But so has the Titans. I was actually listening to an NFL podcast today with Shannon Sharp on it. And they were talking about how the Browns should have ran and stuck to their running back like the Titans did with Derrick Henry in that Nick Chubb is very similar to Derrick Henry. But they wouldn't stick with him like they should have. And so that almost makes me wonder, optimistic, um, fan dumb, maybe, maybe that's going on here. But it makes me wonder if the Titans have just the right offense to beat the Ravens. And we kind of, well, we kind of saw that last week where the Titans pull the upset on the Patriots. How? They rely on their great running back. The Vikings pull the upset on the Saints. How? They rely on their great running back. Dalvin Cook got, what, 28, 29 touches? You know, so I think, and that is makes me feel good because I love that smash mouth. Like, we're just going to line up and run the ball, and our defense is good enough for you not to score on us. Like, I love that brand of football. And that comes back when you have a running back good enough and you're scared to lose. Like, when you just have to squeak by somebody, you're not throwing bombs, dude. You're handing it off to the guy you can trust and letting him get 34 carries because his hamstring's better now. And successfully getting 34 carries. I mean, the dude had 181 yards. He had 100 yards at the end of the first half. Like, man ran like a beast who was hungry. I mean, like, just destroyed them. We were messaging during that Bills-Texans game. And I had previously, not to toot my own horn, but said that you don't rely on a quarterback coming into the playoffs who's never really been there. And Josh Allen lost his mind in that game. (laughs) I mean, he completely lost his marbles. There was one point where he tried lateraling to his offensive lineman. I mean, he was throwing crazy passes. Like He lost his mind. He rolled out left, turned, threw a 70-yard bomb to his right, to his fullback who was in double coverage. Like, this is something that, like, my little brother wouldn't even try on Madden, and he's doing it in the biggest game of his life. What in the world? To his credit, though, he owned up in, like, the post-game press conference and said it was his fault. So, like, I can respect that, but, Cole, your comments about young quarterbacks were totally vindicated in that game, for sure. I I understand. I mean, it was his fault for throwing that pass, but I kind of, I mean, I'm just curious, like, what? 
why did the coaches or why did the fullback like if it was the coach's decision to put the fullback on a route where he could go down the field 70 yards like that was just a bad idea in general like they're just going to get the dude winded like there's no purpose to that whatsoever but maybe that's a discussion for another day i don't know uh but um going forward just real fast uh give me your uh predictions we've talked a lot about the afc give me your nfc game predictions and then we will uh go forward i've got i mean i've got the division leaders i think at this point i'm hoping seahawks win that's who i put on my bracket like that's that's who i'm hoping for but um no i'm gonna stay with them i'm gonna say seahawks win that game and then i'm gonna say uh the 49ers win against the vikings i mean that's kind of i mean when they're not playing the saints like I feel like the 49ers just kind of got a second bye week almost. Like, I think they should really have the opportunity to walk in. I mean, now granted, the Vikings surprised me and beat beat the um, beat the Saints. But, I mean, I don't know that they're going to get lucky like that two weeks in a row. Yeah, I'm kind of going with a version of what I originally had. Um, obviously, the Saints are out. I still think the 49ers lose this week. Because if the Minnesota defense could do that to Drew Brees at home, who is Jimmy G for him to think he can just step up and win a game for his team? Like, I'm sorry. And I know, like, oh, they're traveling more. It's not consistent, whatever. Like, I think they're good enough to win this game. I'm kind of a believer in the whole Vikings thing going on. And I still got the Seahawks over Green Bay. There's only a couple of first-place MVP votes that did not go to Russ, I mean, to Lamar Jackson. And those votes went to Russell Wilson. And if you look at the year he's had, it's incredible. And if you look at the game where they beat the Eagles, 95% of all the yards went through Russell Wilson. And I think he can do that again in the frozen tundra. In addition to the fact that his defense had six or seven sacks. Um, like Aaron Rodgers is great, but when you get sacked, you know, it's hard to, hard to throw the ball when you get sacked. Cole, are you, would you like to give us your NFC picks? Well, we got Seahawks versus Green Bay. That's going to be a very fun game to watch, but I'm just not buying all this Aaron Rodgers hype. I I don't buy it. I don't buy the Green Bay hype. I'm going with the Seahawks. They got a miniature Cinderella story with Marshawn Lynch coming back. People want them to win, and, and with the NFL, what people want somehow just seems to happen. All right, so what about the 49ers and the uh, Vikings for the Vikings to beat the 49ers they are going to have to go face the boogeyman and after seeing what the Titans did to the Patriots nothing's impossible but I do believe the 49ers have a strong run game too and the 49ers seem to me like this team that what you see is what you get they're they're not necessarily flashy they have a strong defense, strong run game, strong play action. What you see is what you get, and it's – I don't know. I, I'm going to go with the 49ers. Seems like the safe pick. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it definitely seems like the like the safe pick. And and I would love, I would love to see uh, the Titans in the Super Bowl, and I think the Titans have the best chance of beating the Ravens out of just about any team in the in the playoffs right now. But – it would be fun to see a Ravens 49ers rematch in the Super Bowl. That would be interesting to see, you know, because that just happened so recently. But um, 
now let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about our bring it to the table section segment, and uh, let's talk about our resolutions that we have uh, for 2020 that are that are not uh, spiritual in nature. Um, so for me, I want to work out at least one day a week. Pretty basic, but you know, as we talked about last last uh, last week, I try to I try to keep my goals pretty basic to start out with, and so. Uh, I'm going to try to walk 7,000 steps a day at least. I need to buy a pedometer. I don't have one of those yet, but I need to buy one of those. But then I want to walk 7,000 steps a day, and then I want to um, work out at least once a week for about 20 minutes or so, and um, let that be my uh, my resolution. What is 7,000 steps? Like, what is that? How many? Is that over a mile? Like how long? If you just were just to start walking, how long would it take you to get 7,000 steps? Okay, so for a while I was walking like a half mile. No, I was walking about a mile every day, and that was about 3,000 steps. Um, I, if I remember correctly, maybe it was no, 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 no. Maybe it was like 1,500 steps. Like it, it wasn't that many steps really, but it kind of jump started my my day. It's whenever I started counting calories and uh, was um, I was counting calories and trying to walk 10,000 steps a day. But what I found is is that I could pretty easily get 7,000. Know, like that was that was about my daily average without doing any extra walking. And so I decided I would start at 7,000. And so for the month of January, I'm going to try to walk 7,000, and then I'm going to tr- slowly but surely try to get up to where I'm walking 10,000 a day pretty naturally, you know, pretty effortlessly, you know, where it's just kind of uh, a habit. So that, that's kind of my goal. And and they just suggest 10,000 steps a day. Like I'm, I might try to get up to 15,000, but you know, that 10,000 steps per day is just kind of uh, that suggested starting place. And so that that's where I'm coming from there. You should do CrossFit for that one workout a week. Do some CrossFit, man. It's hardcore. Okay, maybe we can talk about that more next time because <laughs> I'm a little intrigued, but not really enough for us to talk about it right now. So <laughs> let's see. <laughs> Forrest, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you should do CrossFit too because uh... – <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, yeah, I too am trying to get a little fitter, more fit, whatever. Um, got a gym membership. They were doing a deal at the gym by my house, $1 down, $9.99 a month. So I jumped on that uh, New Year's special. I haven't gone yet, though, because I want to wait till all the people who made the resolutions quit um, and flake out. And then I'll go. I'm thinking I'm going like late January when most of the people who started those resolutions are already off the wagon, which I know is like a cynical view. But I don't know. I don't want the gym to be crowded. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to try to do that like three times a week and do a little bit of strength stuff, but mostly just like cardio and like walking and the Stairmaster. Because my dad's the Stairmaster champ. Um, you know, he's a firefighter. Every year he does on the Stairmaster the flights of the Twin Towers. You know, I guess that's a thing some firefighters do. But that's a part of his, like, weekly workout that he does. And he does, like, he'll do, like, 300-plus floors on the Stairmaster every time he gets on there, which is insane. Uh, so I'm hoping to do, like, 10 or 15, hopefully. Um, so that and then... I'm back on the keto pretty uh, pretty strictly. I know we've you guys know my history with that, where I lost like 60 pounds on it and then kind of been off on, off on, off on. 
but I'm committed to uh, just doing it and have been doing some intermittent fasting as well and just feel real good and have already lost, I think, like five or six pounds since the new year. A lot of that's water weight, but still. Um, so just keep stick with that. Like uh, my mom's really into the ketogenic diet and stuff, and she's been helping me out and just supporting me. And Lori doesn't do it. She doesn't like it. But she helps me, you know, even though she doesn't do it herself. So hopefully I can stick to that. I don't really have a concrete goal. I kind of I kind of do. Lori and I both want to be the weight the weights we were when we got married. So, uh, cause we both, you know how it is, Cole, you get married and then you gain weight. So, uh, we're just trying to get down to that weight, which is only 10 pounds heavier than my goal weight. So I think it's totally doable. Get down to my married weight. Um, yeah. So I guess that's really it as far as, oh, and financial stuff, trying to spend less money. Cause, uh, that's, what you should do, not try to spend a lot of money, try to go out less to eat. That's really the main thing that kills us, man. Just not, you know, just going out to eat, eating the food that's in our fridge, you know, is a big deal. And I think I'm trying to be more strict about that, you know, um, just whatever you, whatever you're going to go out for, just make it at home instead. Like how your mom used to tell you, you know, got that at home. That's what I tell myself now. So yeah, so just all those together, I hope I'm able to, I don't know, just have a positive year. And I'm, oh, I hate to sound like, I sound like, I don't know, I sound weird. Also, trying to read more, which not just the Bible, but just like books in general. You guys know I'm taking some time off of, uh, taking some time off of school. So I'm going to use that extra time to hopefully read some more. And I feel like my one resolution just turned into 20, but uh, that's what I've got. Those are my plans. You've got a lot, man. You've got a lot, but uh, Godspeed and uh, good luck. Good luck. I'm excited to, to talk about those more as the year progresses for sure. Uh, Cole? So I just want to be on the, the record as saying that this whole New Year's resolution thing and, and Forrest mentioned being a little cynical and, and people laugh like, oh, all the New Year's resolution people are coming in to the, to the weight room. Brace yourselves or whatever the meme is. But it really is a good thing if you think about it. Like for one day, one week, maybe it's just one month out of the year. It's almost like our entire culture says, I'm going to be better. And at least they have that as a goal. And I know it always doesn't pan out, but I think it is a good thing. And people are a little bit too uh, too negative and laugh at people like, ha ha, you're trying to make good goals of yourself. And, you know, you know how some people can be, but I also like that this podcast is going to hold us accountable because I know if if I see Force with some cake here in about three weeks on podcast, I'm going to let him I'm going to let him have it, you know, and I expect y'all to do the same with me. Yes, please rebuke me. <laughs> but we have now gone full circle. <laughs> my my resolution is just like you guys. It just says uh I guess the poster child for New Year's resolution is is to lose 20 pounds in 20 weeks. So I didn't want to do a whole year resolution. After 20 weeks, I'm going to I'm going to relook at things. But I've kind of cheated because as you guys know, I am terribly sick and I've lost like 6 to 8 pounds in 2 days. Like holy crap. <laughs> 6 pounds in 2 days uh throwing up just 
please, no details, please. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Okay, that's, that's yeah, good. no details. Anyways, horrible stomach virus. I, okay, I got to give a little detail. All right, all right. There was I don't know that moment, you do. <laughs> there was this moment like two nights ago or, or last night. I don't even remember because I ain't really sleeping. Where I was throwing up and I had this thought during my dry heaving. I was like, I just want to die. <laughs> I'm ready. I, Lord, just take me. This is too awful. Like, that's how miserable I was. And then last night, I hadn't eaten in 24 hours. And man, I don't eat McDonald's, but like once a year, I try and stay away from that place. I, I don't think it's real food. But man, I had this craving. So I went to McDonald's. I got like two double cheeseburgers and McChicken, some fries. I ate one burger and was full. It's like, what a bummer. So anyways, uh, I'm cheating. I'm sick, but I guess it counts. Who knows? Yeah, it definitely counts, but you should maybe go to the doctor. Um, <laughs> just a, an idea. Like, if it doesn't get any better, you should go to the doctor. Um, like... Or, like, wait till you lose the 20 pounds, then go to the doctor, just so you can say you did your resolution. I don't know. I think if he waited that long, he might literally die. And I, I don't know if the world's ready to lose Cole. So so maybe go to the doctor sooner rather than later. You know what they say the best thing to eat when you're throwing up and are sick in your stomach is? McDonald's. That is hands down... Uh, known as the greatest thing to eat when you are throwing up and are already sick in your stomach, second only to Taco Bell. Ooh. I know it wasn't the best meal choice, but it's like 24-hour fast, wasn't hungry all day, and then all of a sudden it just hit me. It's 11 o'clock at night, nothing's open, I'm not about to eat a bologna sandwich. You know what I mean? Like, I need some good food. Having been to your house, I'm kind of surprised even the McDonald's was open at 11 p.m. <laughs> that is true. Cole lives out in the boonies, but that's where all that's where all people should live. Good old, good old heartland. All right. Well, now you know my opinion on country living and all the NFL picks, along with all of our. Uh, 2020 resolutions, spiritual and non-spiritual. We hope that you have a great week, that you will share our podcast, and that you will uh, continue to listen and continue to grow with us as we strive to uh, encourage one another, encourage you, and glorify God. Thank you for uh, being here and listening, and have a great week.